everybody, and welcome back to the North American Soccer Show. We're actually recording two consecutive weeks in a row, and we're super happy about it. We've, we've, we're actually kind of covering a, a, a similar vein of what we talked about last week with Alex Windley and Inter-Miami, but this time it's going to be with the with the newly promoted Nashville SC and getting some, getting some coverage in a little bit more in-depth way about Nashville. So joining me to talk to our guest today is Chris Smith. As always, Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. And joining us to actually give us the the lowdown on Nashville and, and kind of their their journey into existence is Ben Wright. Ben Wright is the senior writer for Broadway Sports. He was actually the editor and founder of Speedway Soccer, where he covered Nashville SC and their time in the USL before journeying to the Major League Soccer. Uh, so he's been he's been in the Nashville SC game for for uh, quite a minute, and uh, he's from my neck of the woods or kind of close to it. So he's Louisville switched to Tennessee. Uh, but he's down there now covering the club. Ben, it's great to have you on. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm excited to talk to you guys. This should be a fun time. Definitely, definitely. And this is, I think, in my entire podcasting history, the first time that I've ever had the ch- had the chance to cover both soccer and Kentucky, Tennessee at the same time. So I'm in a I'm in a good place right now. It's a weird place, but it's a good place. I'm happy to have you on. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. Maybe ten years ago, I don't think I would have expected to be able to talk soccer in in Tennessee or or Louisville for that matter matter with Louisville City. But uh, who who knew that we would have two pretty high level clubs in both cities at this point? It, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Being being stuck right in the middle of them is a is a good place to be. Um, so that's this is this is kind of what I want to start with. You know, especially considering you know. Uh, coming from two cities that do have that do have newer high level you know uh, professional semi-professional soccer teams um you come from louisville kentucky uh and and i want to kind of start there uh you know talk to me about your 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 supportership of soccer a little bit um it sounds like it very much started uh in louisville so this isn't uh you know if soccer isn't any kind of new grounds for you like it is for a lot of american soccer fans so Kind of talk to us how you got to the point where you know you were you were covering Nashville when they were in the USL, um, and when the decision was really made to move to Nashville to make that to make that coverage and, and make that part of your career permanent. Yeah, well, so uh, I guess starting from the very beginning, um, my my dad actually grew up in Ipswich um, in England, um, so he grew up a soccer fan, um, mm. played played soccer all his life. Um, he was an Air Force kid, so he kind of he kind of grew up all over the all over the place in England and France. Um, but then came back to the U.S. Um, couldn't find any any soccer to play in in Arkansas in the in the eighties, so switched over to football. Where he was a, he was a kicker actually for for uh, the Duke football team. And then so he kind of he he grew up with the game, kind of instilled that in us. Um, I'm one of five boys in my family, and all of us grew up playing. All of them, all of my brothers are better than me. Um, but we all we all grew up playing um, all through high school. Um, looked to play in college, and then had a pretty serious knee injury in my senior year of um, of high school. Mm. That kind of ended that, um, and so moved down to Nashville actually to to do music, um, which is what I do full time. I, I work in music publishing, um, and then kind of as as Nashville. Um, started out with Nashville FC back in the day with the supporter zone, supporter owned amateur team. Um, that kind of grew um, from a couple hundred people um, at the first couple games into into a, a pretty good crowd of maybe two or three thousand people, um, and kind of caught the eye of of some local businessmen who decided it would be a good op- opportunity to bring USL in. Um, so, kind of when they started bringing USL um, into the picture, um, is when myself, uh, Davey Shepard, uh, Jonathan Slape, a couple of the other guys who were on the Speedway Soccer podcast started just really covering all of that, um, m- moving into USL, all the city council meetings, the kind of the business side of it. And we were just kind of spreading information, um, to like the local soccer community. Um, once MLS came into the picture, um, and the, all the, city council meetings and stuff with the mayor's office as far as the stadium picture was concerned we we all kind of find ourselves at the um at the council meetings until until midnight or so and then we would be the ones like recapping the council meetings for other people um so it just kind of it kind of grew organically from us just being there and being interested in the team realizing that we were talking about it already to turning that into a podcast um right right at the start of the 2018 season when Nashville first started playing in USL. And then kind of from there grew into some written stuff. And then, yeah, like you said, I'm now over at Broadway sports media where we kind of, we kind of moved all of our written content from speedway soccer over there. So it, it just really grew pretty, 
pretty organically just out of a couple of guys who were interested in, in, in soccer and talking about soccer um, in, into what it is now. It, it organically, I think, is a really good word for it. And, and what's what's what I find the most interesting is being from being from the part of the United States that we're from, and you know, kind of experiencing a a, a little bit different style of uh, of of soccer supportership that from the outset sounds a little bit more like what your dad ran into. Um, you know, where you couldn't really find anybody to kick a ball around. You know, that's that's kind of where where we're from. But on the same token, you you look at Nashville and you look at the the history of the amateur. Uh, the amateur clubs that have come through, they had the the metros back in the day that ran from, I think it was like 2005 to 2012. And then, like you had said, there was the Nashville FC um, mm-hmm. that had a three-year run uh, in as, a, as, a, as an amateur team as well. And, you know, it, it, Nashville kind of is... It's not a soccer town. I don't think you could call it that, but it is sort of this weird niche city and, and niche culture in in the in the American South that does kind of have a pretty fairly large appreciation for soccer. I mean, from from that sort of grassroots level, you know, now that you've been there for quite some time, um, do you kind of do you kind of share the same sentiment about that? And it, 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 concerning comparatively with your experience back up in Louisville, do you think Nashville is a little bit more of a soccer city than Louisville is, or are there some you know comparable? traits between the two i think there are really some comparable traits between the two i think probably nashville nashville feels to me similar to louisville just kind of demographics and interest in soccer but it's just bigger um i think to what you're seeing with nashville um, especially in the last 10 15 years is really just an influx of people coming from all over um all over in the u.s and, and all over the world really i mean there's a stretch of of nolensville road um that i that i believe as of a couple years ago um, had the most languages spoken on that stretch of road than any any city in the southeastern U.S. Um, there is a huge immigrant population, um, and there are just a lot of people coming from all walks of life um, and all over, like I said, the U.S. and in the world. And so I think you're kind of it's turning into a little bit of a melting pot. You it, 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 you're, you'd be hard pressed to find someone in Nashville who is originally from Nashville at this point. Um, so I think you're seeing a growing city, um, and I, I think just. Two in the country, you're seeing a, a bigger appreciation of soccer. Um, not necessarily people saying it's their favorite sport, but people who are aware of the sport um, and understand it and would watch it if it was presented to them at a high level. So I think you're seeing that. Um, I mean, with Louisville, with with a team like Louisville City, and then for sure in Nashville. Um, and I think I, I'm sure we'll get into this, but I think the the opening game that Nashville played this year where where they had almost 70,000 people show up. Um, I think that was kind of an indicator of, of what it could be in the city. And I think what, what the club is hoping it will be in the future. No, that's a that's a fair point, and 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 you 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 definitely you definitely make a uh, an excellent uh, an excellent shout to the amount of folks that came out to watch that first Nashville SC game, and 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 I I agree with you. It, do, it does seem to to kind of indicate what where soccer could be in Nashville after after it sort of has has a little bit of time on the on the big stage on the big MLS the professional stage on the on the highly televised stage and especially with as many streaming platforms that we have available to us to get these sorts of games now. And, and, you know, even more so in a, in a post COVID world or a, you know, in COVID world that we live in, um, it, it really is going to, I think it's going to lead to a lot of increased exposure of a team like Nashville SC. And, and you're right. You, you're in that sort of niche area like Nashville where, where, you've got a lot of people who have somewhere between a passing and a vested interest in it. And now that they've got a home team to support, I mean, you know how Americans can be, you know, as soon as you get a team that's relatively close to you, that you feel like you can attach yourself to it's full bore. doesn't matter who I supported prior to this or, or what my history with the sport is it's in Nashville. I want it. I want it to be, I want them to be successful. And I think that, I think that could have a lot of positive, a positive motion going forward towards the, the, the progression of Nashville SC, because with, with, with anybody that's getting a lot of watches and with anybody that has a strong supportership, it, it really, I feel like it motivates an active administration to, to, to continue really investing and really bettering uh, a, a new club like Nashville. So I think that's really a positive and we'll come on to the administration in a little bit, but you know, really, you know, kind of at, at the outset of of w- what we want to talk about uh, uh, pertaining very specifically to Nashville SC at this stage, uh, the last question that I want to have, kind of in this in this sort of you know pre MLS's back tournament conversation, is talk to me about those two years prior to 
Nashville SC actually becoming a part of the MLS. They were a USL club. I, I'm pretty sure if I if I remember what I was reading, if I remember what I was interested in, it looked like MLS was the goal the whole time. But these folks wanted to really get something off the ground at the USL level uh, and 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 establish some kind of a some kind of a semblance of organization and structure before they made that move to the MLS. And I'll be honest with you, that's in with all of the expansion teams that have come into the league in the last five years, that is a sort of step back procedural, very processional approach to to entering the MLS as an expansion team that you don't really see out of a lot of these expansion teams. So uh, talk to me about those first couple of years in the USL and 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 how how what they experienced in the USL as well as how the administration kind of grew and how Nashville SC as a, as a club and as an organization kind of grew has has led to their, you know, I'd say I'd say more than fair amount of success on the pitch this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess starting from the beginning, I don't think technically the plan was always um, to play in USL for two years and then join MLS. Um, so mm-hmm. when they first brought USL to Nashville, it was a group of investors led by um, David Dill. And I, the, it was specifically just a USL team. Um, and then kind of really soon after that, you you started to hear rumblings of potentially MLS interest. Um, and then the group led by John Ingram um, started the MLS to Nashville bid. Um, and he ended up buying out the majority stake of the USL club before it, before it ever played. So um, by the time Nashville took the field at the start of the 2018 season, the goal was to get into MLS. And really, I think actually the MLS franchise has already been awarded at that point. Um, so by the time they started playing, MLS was always um, in the picture. Um, I think what you what you saw on the field, Gary Smith, who's um, who's now the MLS coach, really got a chance to establish himself um, and kind of set set a pretty specific identity as far as how he wanted his teams to play. Um, he and Mike Jacobs have both been there from the start at, at the USL level, um, and then I, I think you saw them really develop a, a good understanding of each other over those two years um, and kind of really establish the identity of the team, not just on the field, but, but kind of how they want to be in the city. Um, and then I think you, you saw decent attendance um, in those first two years. Um, but I think there is, there is an element to a, where people knew that MLS was coming in two years. And I, I think there were probably a good amount of people who just waited um, for MLS before they really started fully supporting the team. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think you, you saw a similar team on the field to what you're seeing in MLS now and, and similar levels of success. They qualified for the playoffs both years. Um, the first year they were really strong defensively and had issues scoring. Um, and then the second year they brought in some more players. They spent a little bit more money um, and turned into one of the king sides um, in the league. So I think, I, maybe that'll maybe that's the trajectory that we'll see in MLS, but I think that's definitely uh, what we saw at the USL level, and I think there are for sure um, a lot of similarities to how it's played out so far. Well, and we I'm, I'm, there's a couple of things that you've that you've brought to the brought to the fore here that I know I definitely want to touch on. The, I've got a I got a couple of questions about MLS's back and and kind of the beginning of the season before we start talking about Gary Smith and and the goals as well as the defensive structure. But those are all definitely things that I want to talk about Bef- before we get there. Talk to me about the the MLS's back tournament and kind of the events that led up to it. You know, we all we all know what happened with Nashville as as the MLS's back tournament is approaching, and and uh, essentially my question is is are you able to shed a little bit more light on what happened? Was it you know I think at this stage with as much as we've talked about the administration, the way I've written this question is is was it negligence or sheer unluckiness that so many of the players uh, ended up with COVID? But I, I I think based on what you've talked about, negligence I think is is probably too strong of a word at this stage. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, what exactly happened and what were what was the based on the knowledge that you have, what was the decision making process for the administration, for the board leading up to their withdrawal from the tournament, especially having you know such an important and potentially precedent setting decision to make in the in the world of American sports? Yeah, well, so first of all, um, the club has been pretty pretty tight lipped on what happened. Um, we we have some reports from um, I believe Paul Tenorio and Sam Stachel at the Athletic talked about um, Nashville getting on the plane to go to Orlando without getting full results back, um, so potentially having some uh, contagious uh, players and staff on on the bus for a couple hours waiting waiting for the plane to take off. Um, so I mean, I think 
that was a mishandling for sure. I don't, I think like you said, negligence might be a bit of a strong word. Um, the club has maintained that they, they followed all the protocols. Um, there were rumors that they had a, a going away party, um, before, before the match, which I confirmed did not happen. Um, so I think they would hold that they were pretty unlucky and I, I haven't seen anything to say that they were, they were careless or, or didn't follow protocols. Um, and I think, I mean, like you you saw it with Dallas and you saw it with Colorado, um, more recently, just that the virus can, it's just a nightmare. Um, well, and especially for them too, that was in a, that was in a world where, you know, the MLS's back tournament was really kind of the, the forerunner into getting American sports back online. You know, we, we had already kind of experienced, you know, uh, some European leagues restarting, but this was our, this was America's kind of first go at, at getting sports restarted. So surely, yeah. you know, surely there has to be some sort of, I guess for lack of a better phrase, leeway given to a club who may have followed protocols that weren't exactly set in place or weren't exactly set in stone as well, as far as, you know, what was good and what was not good and uh, coupled with a little bit of carelessness as well. And you can end up with an entire team that has COVID-19. Yeah. I mean, and to that point, um, recently they, I believe it was right before the new England match a couple weeks ago, they announced that a player on the team tested positive. Um, and then they immediately followed the protocol. So they shut down the, their training facility for two days. Um, until everybody else returned to two negative tests. Um, and in talking to a couple of people with the, at the club, they, they've said that they really feel like they learned a lot from what happened at the MLS's back tournament and were mm-hmm. able to handle the situation a lot better um, and kind of catch it before it, before it spread. Um, and since then they haven't, they haven't reported any new positive tests. So I think um, there's definitely a learning curve. Um, and I think it was unfortunate for Nashville. Um, it just, it, it's been a rough expansion season. I mean, they had the, two games to start the season. Then they had the tornadoes come through, um, through Nashville right around the same time that the, that the league was shut down. Um, and then right when it felt like they were about to begin playing again, they were kicked out of the MLS's back tournament and had to wait about another month and a half. Um, so I, it's been a rough year off the field for sure. Um, but I think kind of that, that experience at the MLS's back tournament, I think from the outside, it seems like it's motivated them, um, to kind of, they had they had a lot of naysayers before the season, right? And I feel like the the tournament just kind of made even more people skeptical, um, and kind of kind of gave the the national media some more ammo to throw at them. And I think they've really gone about the season trying to trying to prove a lot of those people wrong. And I, I think they have for sure. You know, I think the flack that they've received is kind of a an interesting way to to put this because you know I I feel like there has been. Nashville's squad building practices prior to, you know, during that transition from the USL to the MLS is in a lot of ways kind of the way that Minnesota United built their squad a little bit asymmetrically. You know, the big thing with Minnesota United was that they were going into their inaugural season with with no DP players whatsoever. Um, And with with Nashville, you're seeing a lot of that. You know, there's been some squad turnover. Sure. But. At the end of the day, they're bringing over a lot of the USL folks that they had on the pitch back in you know the 2019 season, and those folks have translated and and, and built a little bit of a core to this 2020 team. And, and you don't always see these expansion teams going for you know any any semblance of consistency, especially for the few and far between that have you know USL or NASLs experience prior to actually making the jump from to the MLS. So so talk to me a little bit about the the flack that they've received, and you know at least now that you know you've got this benefit of hindsight as we're you know making our transition from the regular season over to the playoffs talk to me a little bit about you know in in hindsight how that how that squad building practice may have helped transition them into you know a mid-table you know bottom of the playoff bracket kind of uh, team for their inaugural season yeah well I mean I think when you're going to be an expansion team um, you're always going to get compared to in one of two categories, really, you're, you're going to get compared to the LAFC Atlanta United um, teams who come in off the bat and spend towards the top of the top of the league, um, or you're going to get compared to Minnesota or Cincinnati who didn't spend much and were absolutely terrible in their first first couple of years. Um, and I think that's where this the, the second group is where Nashville ended up. Um, I think there were some valid uh, concerns about where the goals were going to come from, um, which has been an issue this season um but i I, and as well as the the amount of players they brought from usl they brought four players um up from the usl team who had been solely on usl contracts as well as daniel rios and Derek jones who had played with them in in usl and then 
been signed to MLS contracts before the before they moved up to MLS. Their, their goal with those two was always to bring them into Nashville for for MLS. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they went out and signed Brian Anunga from Charleston Battery. So they've ended up with seven players on the roster who spent all of the 2019 season in in USL. Um, and I think you saw with Minnesota bringing up players from NASL and Cincinnati bringing up players from from USL. They really relied on those guys to make the adjustment from USL to MLS, and it failed pretty miserably in, in most of those cases. Um, and I think from the outside, there were some concerns that that Nashville would end up falling into that kind of same that same trap. Um, I think what you have seen is those USL players have been much better than what we've seen from Minnesota or Cincinnati. Um, you have guys like Daniel Rios, who's who's been injured and hasn't played a ton of minutes, but he's tied for the for the team lead in goals um, and is. I, I believe he's the best finisher on the team. Um, and then you have a guy like Derek Jones, who's really kind of stepped into a much bigger role than anybody expected. So they've, they've got production from those guys. Um, they built heavily um, from defense, which I think knowing Gary Smith is the manager, I think that was kind of always the expectation. Um, and they looked like they were going to have a strong defense before the, before the season started. And then they went out and spent uh, $1.25 million on, on Walker Zimmerman, who is, has a claim to be a top two or three center back in MLS um, and really mm. took the defense from pretty good to, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be a very good team. Um, and it, it's paid off there through 20 games. They were the best uh, defense and expansion team has ever had. So I think um, they, they learned from the mistakes of some of the other teams in front of them. Mike, Mike Jacobs, the GM, he's, he's told us before that um, they looked at mistakes expansion teams made probably as much or more than the success stories. Um, so I think they, they were really careful, although it looked like they were making some of those mistakes. I think they were very careful that they didn't duplicate the same, the same things that Cincinnati and, and Minnesota got wrong. And then slowly, but surely they've kind of added, um, added pieces to the attack and you've seen that attack kind of progress and that's kind of, they're not going to be a high scoring team by any means, but that's kind of um, they, their defense is good enough that they can, they can, take points from low scoring games. Um, and so I think they've avoided making some of the mistakes that it looked like they were going to make before the season. And then they've just performed better um, than anybody really expected. So I, I mean, I, I picked them to finish 10th um, before the season started back when they were still in the Western conference, but I still had them missing the playoffs. Um, and I, I said that if they could get into decision day with a chance to make the playoffs, I would, I would consider it a successful season. And they've, they've done much more than that. And I think it's gone better than anybody even, even in Nashville expected it would. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's the case. And, and, and to, to bring Chris in here for the very first time, you know, Ben brought up Atlanta. Um, and, and I know that Atlanta is a, is both a, a positive and a sore point for you at the moment, but you know, now that we're kind of in this topic of conversation in terms of squad building, in terms of a expansion team building and, and you've had uh, much like the rest of us, you know, the chance to see, what Nashville SC has done in that transition and how that transition, uh, you know, from a squad building perspective has, has translated to results on the pitch. It may not always be pretty, but you know, clearly it's, it's been effective. So, you know, obviously as an Atlanta fan, you've had some good times, my friend, and I'm, I'm, and I'm happy for that. But on the same token, you, you're kind of in the middle of uh, the, the, I mean, to put it nicely, the worst period in Atlanta's short history in the MLS. So talk to me a little bit from that sort of squad building perspective and and looking back at the last few years that Atlanta has been in the league and some of the decisions that they've made. Is there is there anything that you're seeing about Nashville and the way that they've they've made their decisions in terms of squad building and in terms of organization that you're, you know, at this stage in, in, in the 2020 season kind of standing back and saying, you know, that may not be a bad thing to take notes about. Uh, I think looking at, at Nashville, um, I mean, obviously, I always appreciate you telling me how bad Atlanta are at the moment. So thanks for that. But <laughs> I, I got to get one in every podcast. Man, you know <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, solely focusing on on Nashville uh, for the moment. I, I think the biggest thing that stood out for me so far, I, I'm going to compare into the team that we came into the league with with into Miami. Um, the excitement with Miami was was the fact that they were really insistent they were gonna gonna play really attacking, free flowing football. They were gonna bring in the big names. Ultimately, that, that that's not happened. I think the important thing for Nashville um, is they sign smart and realise that in MLS, if you can keep more clean sheets than any other team in the league, you'll find mistakes in the opposition. You will get the odd chance and you will get goals and you'll make the playoffs. Um, 
the, the most impressive part from when I've watched them on the pitch so far has, has been that sort of holding duo of Annabelle Godoy and Dax McCarty. Um, I mentioned on, on Twitter, I think Ben might have saw it recently, that um, during the Montreal game about how well they press, but then as soon as they have to sit into a block, those two just make it so hard for any opposition team to pass through them. And I think as much as they were probably seen as smart signings, I don't think anyone was sort of turning around and thinking, yeah, Nashville are going to do something this season. But it's, you know, it's ball fruit on the pitch that that duo there sat in front of Walker Zimmerman, who, who Ben says is one of the best centre-backs in MLS. I, just, I think they've been a lot smarter than, say, an Inter-Miami in, in the recruitment and getting guys who can just keep them tight at the back. And as I've said, in, in MLS, you will get chances. Yeah, I mean, I think before when the when the Godoy uh, trade was announced, I think a lot of people will call it an overpay, um, and it, it probably was just looking at the pure the, the pure dollar amount. Um, but I mean, they they were an expansion side and they had allocation money to burn, um, and clearly thought that he was going to be a, a piece to build around. But yeah, I agree. I think the pairing of of McCarty and Godoy has been absolutely the strength of this team, um, and kind of the focal point of the team too. I mean, you'll see like off the ball. Um, the team moves with them um, and they're really the, the, the main organizers of the team. Um, and and they, they have a huge role um, going forward too. I mean, I, I feel like this team is built to win the ball quickly and quickly go to goal. Um, and so I, you'll see the, the frontline press um, and Godoy and McCarty really pick up good spaces to intercept the ball. Um, and then they're, they're both really solid passers um, and are able to get it quickly forward um, and find find feet in the final third, um, and I think that's been that's been huge to get that level of production out of those two guys. Um, and I think it was a really smart pickup, especially um, the McCarty signing. They they got him for practically nothing, so I, I think it was a really really good piece of business. Yeah, I think to have that kind of experience coming in as an expansion team is massive. And you know, if you're turning the ball over quickly and getting it to players players like Kani Mukhtar in the final third, then you are going to create chances. And as you say, I know that they've not scored many goals yet, but you know, you may be looking at something like a Cadiz coming in. Maybe that, that'll start sort of increasing in the future. Maybe you'll start getting more goals. And as you say, once those goals start coming, you could, you could push even further up the league. Um, I think that defensive, that defensive solidity is going to be quite interesting in the playoffs as well. Cause I mean, we saw last year with, with the new format and the, the single leg ties, how open the games were. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Nashville handle that for first getting into the playoffs for the first time of asking and then how that style will translate to a playoff format. Will, will it be enough to sort of see off the bigger teams in this league and, and hold out against them? Will they have enough firepower? Yeah, I'm, I, I think so. They've played on the road um, in Columbus, in Orlando, and they played uh, Kansas City, who obviously are in the West and they, they won't see in the playoffs, but I think are a pretty good benchmark. Um, and they they played both of those. They played all the, all of those teams really tight um, and were competitive the whole game, but came away with 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 nothing, um, which obviously won't do any good in the playoffs. So I think they'll going into those matchups. I think Nashville will feel that they can hang with anybody in the league. Um, but I, I I'm a little bit concerned that they um, that just a lack of being able to go toe to toe with those teams in a shootout um, could could hamper them. I think. If they can keep it a low scoring affair, um, get the goal, get the first goal, and then kind of hang on to that lead, I think that's that's the best case scenario for them. But I mean, their defense really gives them the foundation to be able to stay competitive in any match. And I think going into the playoffs, I, I don't think many teams around the league will will be looking forward to play them. Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, especially with, you know, uh, like Chris had said, with the, you know, when when you're talking about format uh, and, and it being a, a, a single leg knockout. You do tend to find teams getting a little bit more expansive, but but like you had said, um, you know, especially with that partnership of Godoy and and, and McCarty, you know, a, a lot of times it's more take the ball and then push towards goal very quickly. It's it, it's a very sort of d- direct vertical passing style system, and you it, it makes you wonder whether the decision will end up getting made whenever it comes playoff time to to try and try and have a little bit more build up and, and and try and string together a few more passes in their in their you know a, a attempts to to transition from defensive to attacking phases of play or if they're going to ask more from 
players like Godoy and McCarty in terms of their passing range and, and, and saying, well, rather than trying to rather than trying to get the ball forward quickly, let's try and get the ball behind quickly in, in, a, in, a little, in even even more direct sense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what their what their mentality is with it, because the one thing that you that I think you guys both said that I would that I'd have to agree with is that with as solid as that defense is, you don't want to open up so much that you that you lose that solidity because clearly that's what's that's what's gotten them through this season. I, and I do think that for for an inaugural team going into their first playoff experience, they shouldn't necessarily deviate too terribly far from from what they're known for, what they're good at, what's been drilled in. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't I don't think opening up would necessarily play so much to their strong suit, but there are a couple of little tweaks that they could make. I think that 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 could make them a you know a, a really tough playoff team to play against yeah and i think too um having if the other team opens up i think that plays into their hands um i think they do they do a good job of staying pretty compact um they don't sit i I wouldn't say they park the bus but they 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 do stay compact um and they're able to to hit you on the counter so i think if 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 the other team whoever they're playing opens up and really goes um goes aggressively and tries to find the goal early um i think that could play into nashville's hands um but i i think just being able to, I don't think they're ever going to this season break break teams teams down in possession. So I think um, they're they're better without the ball, um, without dominating possession, and I think th- that could play into their strengths in a, in a playoff game. But yeah, I mean, if if it gets into a situation where they have to score two or three goals to win a game, I think that's that's where that's where it gets tough for them. Well, I do want to touch a little bit more on on the results on the pitch during the regular season. Uh, I, we we kind of we kind of skipped ahead to the playoffs, which is totally cool. Um, but the from the from the the performances on the pitch, you know, the 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 sort of note that I've had for for both the Inter Miami podcast that we recorded last week and then this one here, uh, you know, whether accidental or on purpose, you know, I kind of left in a question about you know talk to me a little bit about their slow start and maybe how they've grown into the league. But but really, when you do an analysis. Of, of Nashville's results on the pitch this season, there's not really been any definitive period that's been slow, or or any definitive period where you know they've they've been through like a solid run of form. They've they've not been up and down in terms of performances, and I think a lot of the reason why is because they do have that defensive rigidity and that structure. But you know, going back you know going back all the way to February, you know, in, into the ye old pre COVID times, they've never really had. A big slump, nor uh, you know, a, a, a big purple patch either. So, you know, you have to say from the regular season standpoint, one of the main things that you can really say about Nashville SC this year is that they've shown they've shown consistency, which is another sort of odd asymmetrical term to use for an inaugural team. Yeah, I mean, and so going back to before the season started, Mike Jacobs, their general manager, said that his his goal was. Um, to, to look competitive in every game that they played in. And if you were looking at just as an outside observer, if you were looking at a game um, that they were playing in, you couldn't tell which team was the expansion team and which team had been in an MLS for 10 years or whatever. Um, so I think going off of that benchmark, they've, they've definitely hit that. I mean, even in their first two games, they lost to Atlanta in their opener and then, and then Portland in the second game. Um, I don't think they, they looked out significantly outplayed in either of those and actually i think they they probably um were the better team for large stretches of those those games and i think it was mostly a couple individual errors that really cost them um and and led to goals um and i think you've seen those those errors kind of slowly started to get weeded out um and then i mean after after it felt like forever before they before they finally took the field again but i mean you saw them go to dallas and and get a win in their first game back after the restart which i think was a huge confidence boost for them um like you said that it hasn't they haven't gone through any major slumps i would say i mean they've lost they they haven't lost more than two games um consecutively i think maybe maybe their worst period um was when they had uh three draws in a row they had a one one draw against houston and, and then two zero zero draws against uh, new england and nashville um which i think was some of their more frustrating results of the season but i mean they still picked up three points from those games so i think the consistency they've shown like you said has been pretty remarkable for an expansion team um but i think that was they were always kind of built with with that kind of consistency in mind um that's why they built so heavily on mls veterans and, and guys who have been around the league so while the team was the team is new i mean 
the, a lot of a lot of their core players have been around this league for a while, and so I think that really has really helped them. Um, and then the like we've talked about, the defense has, has kind of kept them around until they've been able to figure out a little bit of those scoring issues. Um, and I think once once you've started to see them be able to score a goal or two a game more consistently, I think that's been when really when the turnaround we've we've started to see that. Well, and if consistency is going to come from anywhere, it's going to come from uh, whoever it is that that's that's attempting to maintain that that consistency in the technical area. And you know, you you spoke briefly about Gary Smith earlier uh, and his tenure with the team, despite this being the their their inaugural season in the MLS. So, I think I think it's fair to say that Gary Smith is has proven himself to be a long-term appointment for Nashville. You know, obviously in the, in the sort of managerial coaching carousel that we, you know, we always deal with in soccer, you know, at any point in time that can change if, if things start to go awry, but on the same token, you know, he, 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 he had a similar first season in the USL and then there was a, a pretty fair amount of improvement in their second USL season. And then now that they've made that step up to the MLS, uh, you know, like you said before, he's, he's starting to replicate some of those first season, first season results and the, you know, really aiming for that consistency and, and, and that's rigidity and that structure in defense uh, being some of the core principles of his, of his coaching philosophy. And, you know, going forward, you would assume that we would start to see some more second season results from him. So talk to me about, Gary Smith and this sort of position that he finds himself in where in in their first MLS season he's already got two and a half three years under his belt with the club and 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 how he's in theory going to fare going forward both you know in terms of trying to you know keep his job and also what he's what he ought to be trying to do with the team come the 2021 season yeah I mean so going I think Gary Smith has kind of garnered a reputation as a defensive coach which he absolutely dislikes Um, and I think from his perspective, he's the teams he's been on um, before he got to Nashville were always at a at a budget disadvantage. I mean, the team in Colorado he he won MLS Cup with was terrible, um, and then kind of you saw him in, in Stevenage in England uh, leave because of issues. Um, he he did not get the type of uh, the spending he needed, um, and he's really I mean he's kept teams competitive who haven't spent, um, and I think that's kind of where some of the defensive. Um, the defensive reputation has come from because he's had to default to keeping clean sheets because he didn't have the budget to go out and sign attackers. Um, and, and that's, that's the narrative that I think he, um, he has pushed. And I think it, it's kind of, um, proving to be true. I mean, you saw, like you said, in USL, not a ton of spending in the, in the attack in the first year, but he, he, um, built the team that was the second best defense in USL and then in the second year, they went out and bought Daniel Rios and Cameron Lancaster, who are two of the better attackers in in USL. Um, and they immediately became one of the higher scoring teams in the league and kept that same defensive solidity. They were the, the best defense in the Eastern Conference. So I think that's kind of the trajectory that um, we're hoping to see here in Nashville. I think he's already, I mean, we knew that the, the defense was going to be strong and um the the spending on the attack was pretty minimal to start the season. Um, Hani Mukhtar, their first designated player, they bought him for under three million. They haven't they haven't said what they what they paid for Randall Layall, but I don't expect it was it was that much. He was he was a borderline designated player. Um, almost he almost start, started the season as a tan player, um, and he's someone who can pretty easily be bought down. And then they they signed Jonder Cadiz recently, so then now they have three designated players. But those three guys cost Nashville less um, than. Miami spent on Pizarro alone and I think they've mm. they've produced more than than Miami's designated players have at this point so I think they're they're always going to be a lower spending team but I think they're able they've been able to find production um, from guys kind of at, at a bargain and I think that's been a hallmark of Mike Jacobs and I think he's kind of put Gary Smith in a position where um, he can start defensively a little bit slowly uh, in the attack and then as the as the team gets more comfortable and as their identity takes shape, um, they'll start to invest more going forward. So I would expect that to, that to continue. I, I think probably in this off season, assuming, assuming we have a normal, um, it looks like we'll have a normal season in 2021. I would expect them to bring in a, a couple more attacking pieces. Um, John Cadiz, they have him, he's on loan with a purchase option, but they have him on loan at least until, um, to July 31st. So he'll have, um, a good chunk of the 2021 season. And as he gets more comfortable, I expect him to improve. So I think 
the first year was always going to be about building kind of an identity and defensive solidity and then kind of a slow build approach to the attack, which is what we've seen um, towards towards the end of this season. I mean, in the last four games, they've scored eight goals um, and have been one of the, I think I believe in the last three weeks, they've been the third highest scoring team in MLS. So I think we've seen the defense kind of improve like, like they said it would. Um, and now the goal is to, to improve on that going into 2021 to be able to consistently not just score one goal a game, but two or three um, and really go toe to toe with some of the better attacking sides in the league. Um, But I think that's that trajectory that we saw in USL. And I think it's so far it's shaping out to be that way in MLS. And I think that's, that's the goal for sure. But yeah, I mean, Gary Smith, I, I think he has a strong case to, to be in the conversation for coach of the year, just what he's, getting getting this Nashville team into the into the playoffs um, on a on a low budget really without the benefit of being able to score goals for probably two-thirds of the season so I think he's mm-hmm. he's done a good job and he's he's really um I, I don't think he was ever this season was ever going his job was ever going to be in doubt unless it was absolutely horrendous and they conceded whatever Cincinnati did 75 77 goals something like that but I think he, he's definitely um, given himself some job stability for for a little while here and what sort of are the are the the next step approaches? I mean, you've already you've already kind of talked about some, but you know, looking at looking at not just you know some of the things that are going to happen in order to try and replicate that that increase of production, uh, you know, it, from 2018 to 2019. You know, not only am I assuming that they're going to try and replicate that going into 2021, but you know, also stylistically, you know, from from the actual performances that are put in on the pitch, from the the, the style that's that in, that's in place on the pitch. What do you think are some of the next steps? in order to in order to achieve that kind of success with with Nashville uh, going into next season you know is it is it simply more more production going forward and maintaining stylistically the style of play that they have right now is it potentially trying to get somebody in that can play in more of a more of an attacking midfield role that can that can increase the percentage numbers that they have on a game by game basis therefore allowing them to 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 be a little bit more expansive with their play you know what do you think this team looks like in 2021 should Gary Smith get his way I think it looks I don't think it looks too different from what we're seeing now um <clears throat> excuse me just w- uh, hopefully with a little bit more end product um I mean if we're going off of a USL tenure which I feel like is the the clearest comparison um he has been pretty pretty consistently um pretty consistently set up in this 4411 system um but he's at the usl level he would mix in a, a good bit of a, a back five um and i think he, he even played with a bit of a hybrid system that could shift between the two in game um so i think maybe we'll see a little bit more tactical tactical flexibility from him just in terms of how he sets his team up um but i think really what we're looking at um, as good as the Godoy McCarty pairing has been, uh, McCarty's thirty three, Godoy's thirty. Um, so I think at some point we'll have to. We'll, I would expect them to bring another high level midfielder who can kind of spot minutes for them and, and grow into a bigger role, especially as McCarty probably probably winds down um, just how how much he's able to play. Um, I've heard a little bit that they might be looking to bring in maybe like a DP level winger in the in the January window. That was from much earlier in the summer. So that, that could have changed. Um, but I would expect them to bring in a couple more attacking pieces. Um, but uh, overall, I think the the identity for, for this team is set. And now it's just um, bringing in pieces who can, who can fit that style of play. Um, and I think where the, where the improvement is needed is in the final third. I wouldn't expect to see too much change um, on, on the defensive side of things for Nashville. Um, in terms of, the, the attack, obviously, we've, we've mentioned John de Cadiz a little bit. Um, he's only had just short of 100 minutes, but obviously he scored a goal in that time. I, I watched it. He, he took the goal really well. For, from what you've seen of him so far, do, do you think he's good enough to sort of push that attack onto the next level? And do, do you think that the club will take up the permanent option on him? Um, I would expect they. I would expect they would, um, unless he just drastically regresses. I think we'll, we've only seen one goal from him in pretty limited minutes, but I think... Um, I've, I really have liked what I've seen from him so far. I think um, the com- there's a comparison to Don Baji there for sure. Um, I think he's a similar type of player who he's a, he's a big guy. He can hold the ball up well, but he's also um, deceptively quick. And so I think he can, he can get wide and, and run the channels really well for Nashville and stretch the field. Um, but I think his hold up play has been um, 
better than anything we've seen um, from the forward position. And I think in the system um, where you just have one one striker really up top and in a line of three underneath them kind of floating around, I think holding up the ball and getting those guys involved is is pretty crucial. Um, and I think we have to, I mean, I, I have to point out too that we were watching him on pretty limited fitness. His last full, um, his last game came in March because um, he, he was playing for Dijon in, in Ligue 1. And they, they just canceled their season outright when COVID hit. So he's coming. He's really working hard to to get back to full fitness. And I don't think we've seen him um, anywhere close to his best yet. I wouldn't be surprised if if he's not at full fitness and up to 100% and, and fully adapted until next season. Um, but I think um, the, could, signing Cadiz has been huge. And then I think getting Daniel Rios healthy too. Um, I think that's almost as big of a piece um, as the new signing, I think he's the best finisher on the team. He's a guy who scored 20 goals in USL for two years in a row, came through the Chivas Academy in Mexico. Um, so he's maybe not as flashy a name of, of Cadiz, and I don't expect he'll he'll get the same amount of minutes. But I think coming off the bench, um, Rios is going to be a huge piece of this team going forward, not not just this season, but I think he, he's solidly um, put himself in the mix to be a big part of things going forward into next season. So hopefully having those two guys in form and, and healthy going into the playoffs in next year, I think it should maybe not completely fix the attack, but I think it will significantly improve it. I think, as you mentioned before, they, they may be targeting a winger. I think signing someone like Cadiz seems like a concerted effort to to set them up for a, for someone else with a bit more production out wide as well. You, you mentioned his hold-up play and sort of, bringing other players in, into play. And I think once you sort of double down on, on those sorts of things and creating a more dynamic attack, uh, I think you will start to see the best of, of Nashville. I think Randall Leal, um, he's a kind of a borderline DP, so he can be bought down pretty easily. So I would expect in the offseason to see them buy him down and then bring in another designated player, hopefully hopefully on the, on the right wing to kind of play across from him. Um, and then... Gary Smith's teams have always kind of defaulted to creating from out wide, um, which I think there are positives and negatives to that. In USL, they tended to cross a lot. And I think we've seen, we've seen less of that in MLS. Um, But recently I think we've seen them be able to start creating from the center more. Randall all has drifted inside and kind of created from the half spaces a lot. You have Hani Mukhtar who's played in a pretty free role underneath the striker. Um, So I think, getting someone who's um, similarly dynamic on the opposite wing will just open up a lot of options for them um, in the final third. And then having Cadiz kind of as the reference point from the, for the rest of the attack, I think that'll be, that'll be a, a big piece of it. Well, if there's anything that would maintain that, you know, this sort of thematic uh, element of consistency that we've, we've held for the last 45 minutes, it, it, it certainly would be that. And, you know, again, it, it, it just, I think goes to showcase the, 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 the clear picture that Nashville SC from an administrative level down to the performances that are on the pitch and the players that are at the club. I think it just shows it, it, it shows a level of resilience in, in, in confidence uh, uh, in what they're doing there at the club and, and, and how they want to build themselves and the, the, the personality that they want to have, uh, you know, uh, both with the, both with the ball at Nashville's feet, as well as, um, you know, sort of the outward projection of, uh, of what the club stands for. So, um, you know, that, that makes the most sense to me. And honestly, uh, you know, at this stage, first season inaugural team, uh, squeaking into the playoffs, you know, based on this new points per game format, um, and, and ultimately doing doing a, an excellent job showcasing that they deserve to be in those in those you know sixth seventh eighth position playoff contention spots at the moment uh, and then furthermore building from there so uh, they they they've shown what they're about they've shown what their plan is and and at the end of the day you you, you can't argue with its effectiveness at the moment. Perfect. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for for the Nashville SC content this 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 weekend. Uh, again, this has been your North American Soccer Show. I'm your host Dylan Baker. You can find me on Twitter at dln underscore bkr. Ben, it's it's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, especially with a with a team that's so close to home, it's it's been great to get a little bit more in depth, intrinsic look into you know how they became what they are today, and 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 more importantly how they've how they've you know kind of set a new bar and and potentially a new chance or a new pathway into into how an inaugural team or how an expansion team can can operate on the pitch uh let everybody know where we can find you as well as you know what you've got working on um in the in the closing weeks of the regular season yeah so you can you can find all my written work at broadwaysportsmedia.com um that's 
all of the guys from from Speedway Soccer have stuff up there as well. Um, we're going to be doing our typical uh, previews of the of the game as well as some kind of recaps of the of the season as a whole, kind of stacking up how our expectations of the team before the season played out um, and and how Nashville has by and large uh, exceeded, exceeded those expectations. Um, and then we'll have obviously coverage of them in the playoffs, however, however long they're in the playoffs. So you can find all that at broadwaysportsmedia.com. And then on Twitter, uh, it's just at uh, Ben Wright. Easy enough, Chris. I'll give you a moment to, to plug yourself as well and let us know what you're working on this week too. Uh, yeah, you can find me at uh, CJ Smith 91 on Twitter. Um, most likely going to be writing a eulogy of uh, Atlanta United's 2020. Uh, <laughs> the sooner uh, all playoff hope is ended, the better. Um, and just sort of getting prepared for when the, the playoffs do kick in. Um, got some, some interesting scout reports coming as well next week. Perfect. Well, just before we go, as always, I do want to give a quick shout out to our Patreon. Uh, World Football Index prides itself on bringing you our content absolutely free and for being ad free. And we will continue to do so to provide the best user experience for our readers and listeners. If you like what we're doing and hearing, if you want to help us bring you that content, feel free to join as a patron on Patreon. You can contribute $3 a month and feel warm and cozy knowing that you're a major part of keeping World Football Index in the works. And at $6 a month, you gain access to a load more content. Um, I, I was able to, and I was lucky enough to participate with Simon Edwards on some of his Colombian Spotlight series this week, where we can compared and contrasted a lot of different aspects of the Colombian youth system uh, to the United States youth system. Talked about some Colombian players that are here, um, as, as well as some potential deals that are on their way. Uh, you also gain access to our football city guides that cover the culture and environment of a South American city and just how intertwined football is with it. Uh, go to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash World Football Index to find out more. This has been your North American Soccer Show, and we will see you soon. Yeah.